some folks just spend so long researching and this and that and and like just do it Come on. you know if i would have waited around and did all this research of where's the perfect strategy for a new housing organization and how does that fit into the whole ecosystem like i don't know you know i it was just i was like let's just try to do like 10 houses to start you know and like let's just do it this way and is it going to be perfect absolutely not are we going to make mistakes absolutely but like just do it just get started and i don't think enough people do that Well, hey, leader, and welcome to episode number 296 of the L3 Leadership Podcast, where we are obsessed with helping you grow to your maximum potential and to maximize the impact of your leadership. My name is Doug Smith, and I am your host. And in today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Baritone Advisors. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope that you'll enjoy our content and become a subscriber. And if you've been with us for a while, make sure that you're subscribed, and it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a rating and review on whatever app you listen to this through. That really does help us to grow our audience and reach more leaders, so thank you in advance for that. Well, in today's episode, you'll hear my conversation with Brett Hagler. If you're unfamiliar with Brett, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Brett is the CEO and co-founder of New Story, an innovative nonprofit founded in 2015 to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. Brett's a Y Combinator alum, a 2016 Forbes 30 Under 30 entrepreneur, author, speaker, and cancer survivor. Fast Company recognized New Story as one of the world's most innovative companies in 2017 and in 2019 as a top 10 nonprofit. And Brett was named as one of the top 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs in 2018. And in our conversation today, you'll hear Brett share the story of New Story. You'll hear him share about why he's so passionate about ending homelessness and what he's actually doing about it. And you'll learn the lessons that he's learned in leadership while scaling his nonprofit. But before we get into the episode, just a few announcements. This episode of the L3 Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Baritone Advisors. The financial advisors at Baritone Advisors help educate and empower clients to make informed financial decisions. You can find out how Baritone Advisors can help you develop a customized financial plan for your financial future by visiting their website at baritongadvisors.com. That's B-E-R-A-T-U-N-G advisors.com. Securities and investment products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. Baritone Advisors, LPL Financial, and L3 Leadership are separate entities. I also want to thank our sponsor, Henny Jewelers. They're a jeweler owned by my friend and mentor, John Henny. And my wife, Laura, and I got our engagement and wedding rings through Henny Jewelers, and we just loved our experience. Not only do they have great jewelry, but they also invest in people. In fact, they give every couple that comes in engaged a book to help them prepare for their marriage, and we just love that. So if you're in need of a good jeweler, check out hennyjewelers.com. And with all that being said, let's dive right into the episode. Here's my conversation with Brett Hagler. Well, Brett, thank you so much for being willing to, to do this interview. And why don't we just start off with you just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thanks, Doug. Yeah, it's great to be here uh, with everybody. Uh, I lead an organization called New Story. Our mission is to pioneer solutions to end global homelessness. Um, we've been at it for about six years now, and uh, we try to... Um, work with families that are coming from inadequate housing, usually living um, just with tarp tents or piece to piece together um, homes that they self-build themselves. And, uh, and we come in and partner with them and, and try to design better housing. And that usually shows up in the form of a, a larger community with a couple hundred homes. Um, and then we're also uh, trying to, and in that we're 
you know, designing the communities very intentionally with, with the family's input, and then also, uh, you know, trying to bring uh, a better process and uh, an innovation to financing and how, how families think about getting access to financing and, and, and improving their credit worthiness, which they have not you know, really had an opportunity to for before and then um and also just on the architecture and the home design side of, of trying to lower cost of of housing so um yeah we work with a market that uh, unfortunately there's about um you know 1.6 billion people in the world that don't have adequate housing and we focus our market on uh, uh, families making usually between like three to to ten dollars a day is our market wow. so that's what that's what we do. Um, we work in right now in Haiti, El Salvador, and Mexico. Um, we're based in the U. Well, our team we have office in Mexico City, um, and we have a U.S. team that's um, in, in San Francisco, Atlanta, and, uh, and and some remote folks. So that's a little bit of the high level on just the organization. Yeah, and you know, tell us a little bit about your story. You know, we both share yeah. the passion for ending homelessness for people, but you know, not yeah. everyone shares that passion. It's kind of a unique uh, space yeah. to be in. How did you? How did you develop a passion and vision for this? Uh, honestly, it's the last thing I thought I'd be doing. Um, <laughs> I didn't grow up having any type of passion around homelessness or uh, around any type of charity. And I think charity, when I say the word charity, I don't mean like the structural form of an organization as charity, but um, charity just uh, from a biblical standpoint of just, I mean, wanting to, wanting to love your neighbor and wanting to um, really put others before yourself. And so um, I didn't grow up going on mission trips. I was not uh, really a, a, a person of faith growing up at all. It really all changed for me after college. When I was in high school and college, I was uh, always, I think, a, a pretty ambitious guy, um, but it was ambition for a lot of the wrong reasons. Um, and uh, I call it the three G's. And it wasn't gratitude, God, and generosity. It was um, girls, gold, and glory. And that was what I was pursuing. And I wanted to be a, a tech entrepreneur so I could kind of make the most gold and have a lot of self-glory. And I started a for-profit startup right out of college. I just went to, I went to Florida State University. So the, nowhere fancy, didn't have any type of, um, you know, accomplished resume uh, at all before starting New Story. And that first startup uh, taught me a lot about um, entrepreneurship. I was just fascinated by how you could start something from scratch and and grow it and create and design something that would be better and different. And that first startup is actually when I, um, I made a total 180 uh, in my life and I became a follower of Jesus and it just changed a lot of my values. What that, happened? I mean, I got to hear that story. So <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Um, what God did was he, uh, he, he used um, something that I was basically idolizing, um, which was uh, an older, uh, not that old, but like probably in, in the prime of his career, a CEO and an investor that I looked up to so much and just wanted to be like one day. And I had no idea he was a believer. And I was trying to raise money from him, uh, venture capital money for our first, for my first startup. And I ended up tracking him down and it took like, um, gosh, probably like six months to get on his calendar. And I finally got on his calendar and I showed up to the meeting and I have all these like leadership questions written out. I want him to be an investor. I want him to be a mentor. I'm like, this is literally the guy I want to be like when I grow up during that meeting. 
I started asking him questions about leadership and he said he really subscribes to a, a philosophy of servant leadership. And at this point, I'm like 23 years old. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, I kind of heard that before. Like, come on, that's just like, you know, what, what does that actually mean? Where does that come from? And he's like, well, since you asked, it actually comes from, you know, who I believe to be probably the, the greatest philosopher and leader and leader of all time. And he's like, Jesus, I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> and, then, and then he goes on to share that um, his faith was just like, the the most important thing um mm -hmm. in his life and it helped him um not just what i was looking up to was his career and his prominence there but most importantly um you know as a husband as a father as a friend as a man of integrity and just how he treated me and so that was just kind of the spark that just really changed my mindset because it was so counter to what i had falsely conditioned my mind to think that it was that faith was all about rules you can't be ambitious you can't be adventurous you can't have fun you you can't do a lot of things there's so much judgment like it just wasn't that attractive to me from some of the ways that I was exposed to it growing up and then this gentleman just like completely shattered all of those uh those objections that I had and that opened my mind and then you know about 9 months after that I just I went all in made a total 180 total change and um that was about eight years ago. So yeah, with that change, with the first startup, we um, wanted to start giving back a little bit of the money we were making, which was not much at all, to charities because I wanted to start being uh, compassionate and generous mm. because that's uh, something that Jesus talks about quite a bit. And uh, one of those charities was at a New York uh, charity that I'm sure most of the listeners know, Charity Water. And, yeah. uh, and I got to meet Scott and Dick Harrison through that. And they've since become advisors and on our board and friends and mentors. Um, and the other charity was in Haiti. And, uh, and I went down to Haiti to see that charity in person. And on that trip, there's a long way of answering your question. Yeah. That's when I was exposed to the problem of, you know, kids and families not having adequate housing. Um, Cause there was an earthquake that happened there in 2010 um, like literally no exaggeration, like hundreds of thousands of homes were destroyed and pe people were just given temporary tents. And uh, that was about 12 years ago. 12 years later, there's still tens of thousands of people living in those tents. So that's how I saw the problem. Um, it just kind of broke my heart to, to see it. And then from, there's a, there's a heart piece of it. And there was just like the, the head piece as well and the intellectual piece, which I'm sure given your your passion on this topic it's like it's like man if you don't have the freaking Maslow's hierarchy like basic human needs it doesn't matter how creative you are how intelligent you are how it's just like first principles is when you can't sleep at night like good luck trying to you know stay in school and how do you get a microloan when you're living in a place that isn't secure isn't safe and if there's a storm that comes like you know, it's a disaster and you're, it's just, that all clicked for me of like, whoa, this is such a foundational problem. That, as you know, it's an insanely challenging and expensive <laughs> and complex problem, yes. but it's one that can help with so many other parts of people's lives. If you, if you can get at creating a solution for it. So that's how I came about the problem. And, uh, you know, we started in the summer of 2015 became one of the first nonprofits to go through a, a, a for-profit startup accelerator out of Silicon Valley called Y Combinator. And um, that's how we kind of got a lot of our roots.
Wow. Uh, that's an incredible story. Can you just talk about, you know, you, you've mentioned it, but what does having a home do for someone? I, I think you get, you guys lay this out very, very nicely on your yeah. website, but yeah. Yeah. The, the beginning of it is when you don't have a home, your mind physically and um, psychologically, you're really just trying to think about surviving, right? You're just trying to think about the next day. You're just trying to think about how to barely make ends meet, how to, what if a storm comes tonight? There's, you know, there's some flooding. So that means there's going to be mosquitoes that my kids are going to get sick. Like you're just thinking about surviving. And when that's your state of mind, and also that affects you obviously physically as well, I think it's very hard. Um, I don't want to use the word impossible, but it's really, really hard to be who God made you to be from a sense of having an imagination, being able to dream, being able to step into things that uh, he's created you to do uniquely or passions that you have, intelligence, creativity. It's really hard to do that when you're just, when you're just living in this survival mentality. And we've seen when that changes, of course, there's still, there's still a ton of problems and it doesn't solve everything and not everything's perfect by any means. Um, but it, it allows you to, I think, become more of, uh, it's kind of sounds cliche, but I think it does give you a chance to come become more of who God made you to be because you get to hopefully um, live out more of your potential and more of your, what your mind is kind of telling you to do. Yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. We see the same thing here in America, you know, here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, as well. totally. Talk about the homes. I mean, this blows my mind how you guys actually create the homes, but you know, how do you build them? What do they cost? And you know, how could people get involved yeah. with, with building these homes? Yeah. So our homes are, they range anywhere, probably on the really high end, uh, really high end. Um, it's probably people's kitchens cost more than this, but the really high end would be around 12,000 US dollars for a multi-generational house that's built to last and built to withstand hurricanes and earthquakes and landslides. And then on the low end is as low as uh, 6,000 US dollars. So it just depends on where is it, you know, we, we, we use all local labor and all local material and we hire um, for-profit construction companies that we work with. Um, so it just depends on the range and, you know, size wise, they're anywhere from, you know, 500 to almost 800 square feet. So, you know, we're, we're, how we, how we build them, you know, the design, we're agnostic with our design, like everything from a really shiny, sexy example of uh, 3D printing houses, um, which we've been able to do with uh, with our partner Icon. We just just created the world's first 3D printed uh, community down in Mexico and it's wow. cool and it's exciting. And like literally yesterday, it was on the cover of the, um, the New York Times business section. And that was a cool moment, of course, like for us. Um, but like we, we, we do a lot of other, we have a lot of other methods and, and what we care about is uh, a low cost home that is high quality. And so, uh, there's different architecture methods that don't require any design. I'm sorry, any technology is just being thoughtful and creative with the design. So we're always looking for, for good designs. If you want to send them our way. Yeah. And how do you, how do you, you know, identify the families? How do you identify who needs a home? How do you identify where you can build? I'm just curious what that process looks like. We've been at it for six years now. So we, we have a lot more learnings. Unfortunately, it, it's, it's a, it's a, I think one of the largest um, 
total addressable markets, right? So you can kind of go anywhere and find somebody that is in need of adequate housing. Um, we've tried to focus on certain regions to start. We try to focus on um, certain income levels and uh, and level of need of where families are coming from. And then now, you know, ultimately, uh, just having families really opt in to 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 our process, uh, which we've which we've started to in the last couple of years, um, requiring families to pay uh, for for more of the house. Uh, where in the in the very very beginning, it didn't start out that way, and we've shifted more of our model to to do that. So the families have to opt in to doing that, and then of course, just logistically, we have to be able to have you know the the construction teams that can that can build at a higher higher volume now. Now we're talking about building you know thousands of homes a year, soon to be hopefully you know, over 10,000 homes a year. So wow. there's a logistical pieces of, you know, finding the places that can do that. Yeah. Also, I, you know, I'm in fundraising from a nonprofit perspective, you've adopted what I call the charity water model. I don't know that they were the yeah. first, uh, but you have a model. No, where, were. Yeah. A hundred percent of the donations go to uh, building homes. And that's because you have a segment of donors who actually pay for your development and admin costs, which is incredible. Yeah. So why so can you just tell, uh, tell people about that? And I'm just curious how you accomplish that. I mean, again, even for myself, mm -hmm. it's like, that would be awesome. So, you know, do people yeah. respond well to being asked to pay for development and admin costs? Tell me about it. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, anything in sales or marketing, right? You got to know who is who is the right customer for for the value proposition that you're offering, right? So if I'm going to, you know, a meeting with an entrepreneur or an investor or another CEO, I know that I can talk to her or him about the importance of investing in an incredible team and to, you know, have runway for the years to come and to you know, be able to have an R&D and innovation budget and to to get an office that's going to attract really great talent that could be working other places. Because I know I know my audience, right? I know who I'm talking to. And, and so that pitch to that person um, is a lot different than a pitch to somebody else where it's, hey, you have an opportunity to directly, you know, change the life of this family or this community. Um, and so we just you know, we, we, we need to know who we're talking to and different folks have different uh, aspirations for how they want to get involved philanthropically. I think for us, how we've scaled, but we'll be our program, we call it the builders program. And uh, now it's about almost 60 families and they're all in three-year commitments. And we have about a, a little above a 90% renewal rate. It's about a hundred thousand dollars a year is the average commitment. So it's it's a good little engine we've got going now, but it's all about how are you positioning it and who are you talking to? Yeah. And, you know, if I was going to, if I'm going to talk to, um, especially if it's a entrepreneur, an executive or an investor, I'm going to say, invest in us, just like how you would invest in a great startup. And what do you do? You're going to encourage them to hire excellent talent. You're going to encourage them to go take calculated risk. So why not do that with us? You know, because yeah. that that's how that's how we're ultimately going to get a more outsized impact, right? A more outsized result is by investing in in some of these things that are on the operational expenses. But that's what leads to um, all of the output and the impact that we want to make. So the more the more amazing people I can get on this team, and I can recruit from other places and pay them well, I'm unashamed about that. I think it's like 
I just think that's a huge mistake that a lot of nonprofits make is just um, is trying to really under underpay people um, because the end result is is impact, right? Mm-hmm. The, the end result is how many um, families are you ultimately able to reach and impact? And and I'm uh, I'm pretty obsessed with that talent and team is is the way to do that. So kind of a long way of answering your question, but um, that's what's really worked for us. And and I think that the last thing is like when you have a conviction on something, which we do uh, with that model, we're very unashamed about it. It's just like this is how we roll. This is what we believe. And that attracts a a lot of people that think the same way. And they're not hearing that from other nonprofits because other nonprofits are trying to sound like a lot of other nonprofits. And we just kind of share exactly what I just said. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious, you know, going back to whenever you were meeting with the investor who helped, you know, impact your life in mm-hmm. Christ. I love that you're having meetings with investors and donors at a young age. I love that you, you said, I came with my list of leadership questions. I had a, I had a mentor yeah. when I was 17 or 18, he'd bring in leaders from the community and said, take them out to coffee, you know, make your list of questions. And really oh. that's how I started the podcast. Uh, awesome. I'm just curious, you know, when you have those, you can call them high stake meetings. What have you learned about those meetings? What do you do to prepare for them? What do you do to follow up from them? I'm just curious. So good. There's one of my favorite quotes is uh, it's not enough to have the the will to win. Everybody has that. Um, it's the will to prepare to win that matters. And I think that was from Bob Knight, a basketball coach. And I, I just, I've really taken that to heart, especially in my early twenties. I'm 32 now, but I just always thought there's so many things that I don't, do well. I'm never like the most smartest guy in the room. Like there's, there's just a lot of things that other people have over me, but I realized I could control my preparation and I could control my effort. And by going above and beyond on some of those things, now that I'm, I'm getting a little further into my career, I'm realizing how it's actually rare. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, how are more people not going above and beyond? And it's really not hard. It's just, you get conditioned to the status quo and thinking like, I should follow up like this, or I should only prepare for this. And it's, if you, if you have a a meeting that can, you know, not to always get your expectations too high, but that can, that can really be meaningful for whatever you're trying to do. I just think it's such a miss to not be overly prepared and to not have a really thoughtful, you know, follow up and plan. And and I just think now that I'm like seeing more of it, so many folks just just miss that and they they kind of do the what's expected or them or yeah, not even the minimum, but just kind of what's expected. And and that's fine. Like that's okay, but it's hard to stand out when you're just doing what's expected, you know, as opposed to, you know, in a follow up like sending a really great video as a thank you. Or if you talked about some book or something and they said, oh, I want to try that out. Like, cool, order on Amazon and send it to them with a with a handwritten note, right? Like just these small little things that, um, I don't know. I've just, I always did that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So good. Any any tips for fundraisers out there on uh, on making the ask? I don't know. It just sounds so basic and cliche, but <laughs> just really understanding what drives them and their interest, you know, crafting your story um, around that. And then, 
you know, trying to connect on something that is outside of the, the mission that you're talking about. I think that's why I've, I've done a decent job of connecting with some of like my peers or other other executives or or um, founders is because yes, we have our mission that I'm like deeply passionate about, but I'm also trying to connect with them about how do you grow an organization? How do you think about culture? How do you, you know, hear the challenges that we're thinking about? And you're trying to connect with people on in a level that is that is friendly, that kind of goes beyond just a, a, tran- a transaction. And so any commonalities you can find like that, that you could be genuinely interested in things, genuinely interested, I think goes a long way in building those relationships. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And speaking of, you know, building cultures, leadership, et cetera, I want to dive into your journey there. Uh, talk yeah. to us about your leadership journey. You started this organization six years ago. It seems like you've built an incredible culture, uh, obviously doing work that's impacting the world. What have you learned about leadership in the past six years or even prior for your journey? I think it probably first starts with being an obsessive learner. You know, that that was something that I uh, kind of stumbled into out of college and I just kind of figured out that you can make the choice to invest a lot of time into learning and you could learn a lot of things and leadership is obviously incredibly hard and you're always growing and learning as a leader and the more your organization grows or the more you know your department grows you're always going to have new leadership like challenges right the things that I'm thinking about today are way different than I was thinking about four years ago and way different than what I'll be thinking about three years from now and I think that what's what um, says the same through that is, a- am I obsessed with learning um, about how to get to that, that next level? And that's through talking with people, that's through books, podcasts, you know, the list goes on. Um, I think being a, a learning leader that is trying to be as rooted as possible in humility, I'd say it probably starts there. And, and as you probably know, Doug, by this podcast and so many of your friends, like, it, it's hard to find a, a a leader you admire that hasn't done that, you know, mm-hmm. that hasn't been just a, obsessed with the, the the journey of of learning. And um, it's pretty amazing how much you can how much you can learn if you're if you're intentional about it, right? And I think I think um, as I've gone as I've gone a little further into this journey, I can see how easy it is to be less intentional about it, mm-hmm. right? Because you kind of you get off to a decent start. You've got some momentum. People are telling you that things are going well, and I can see how people start to drift a little bit in their hunger and their intentionality and really their obsession with with learning, right? So that would that would probably be my my first thing. And, and yeah, and after that, I would say have really good really good people around you that that you're learning from and, and that you get to have conversations with and, and build relationships with, and how are they, how are they sharpening you? You know, I think for me, and this example, it's just related to, to, to my journey, you know, just by physically being in San Francisco and Silicon Valley during the kind of heyday from 2015 to 2020, I lived there being surrounded by, and my peers that were, building these technology startups, like it just, it just rubbed off on me. You know, it rubbed off. I saw it. I saw standards they had. I saw things mm-hmm. that they were doing that 
people other places said couldn't be done or it's not done like that. And like that like seeped into, you know, how I thought about things. So I had I had that inspiration. And then of course, for me, as you know, my, my faith being the most important thing to me, uh, I also had um, great people that I was trying to learn learn from there. And I think you just see examples and that hopefully seeps into your mind and, and kind of your operating system. Yeah. So, you know, as being a lifelong learner as you are, you know, you've been at the six months, how have you had to specifically grow within those six years or there, you know, you talked about how, Hey, year three, you look back and totally different set of issues and problems. Now you're looking back on, you know, year three of the organization, how have you specifically grown and, and what's been challenging for you? Man, what I, what I think about so much more in the last, uh, probably the last two years, it's just, it's just talent and recruiting. And I'm still out selling a lot from a fundraising standpoint, but now I'm like, man, the best thing I can do is sell people to come work here, mm, you know? Yeah. And, and like, that really is some of the, the highest, it's like the, the, yeah, the highest use of my time is trying to go out and find extraordinary people you know, to come work here. And that's definitely uh, been a transition and a change. That's been something new, you know, trying, trying to figure out the, um, I think the dichotomy of, which has actually been, been quite hard probably last year for me, the dichotomy of creating a culture where you want a lot of feedback. You want people to really speak into things. You want everybody's opinion and advice you want everybody to be heard like genuinely and all decisions can't be made by consensus and that way and you're going to make decisions that especially as the organization grows and more stakeholders are involved you're not going to get usually 100 percent alignment on everything and i think what's dangerous is if you try to think success is getting 100% alignment on decisions. Because usually if you look back at a lot of the breakthrough decisions that companies have made, the breakthrough decisions are usually very controversial in the beginning, right? They're, they're risky, they're controversial, they require maybe changing certain things that people don't want to change in the moment. And if you're if you're optimizing for more consensus or you know, more for trying to have everybody be super happy and aligned on something that everybody 100% agrees on, it's, it's really hard to get any type of, of breakthrough ideas or concepts because usually being a little contrarian or, or, or doing things that have, you know, that the opposition is folks saying, let's not do that, let's think differently. Oh, it's not, yeah, let's not go in the direction that you're saying. Those, those are usually the decisions that, you know, end up having huge returns and breakthroughs. So um kind of still still going through that now, you know, of um you wanna you want to have a place that which we do that is um you know incredibly inclusive and and is taking in so much feedback and 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 intel from from our team and stakeholders and you aren't you can't make decisions by consensus on everything. Yeah it's talking about team, you know, looking over the the pictures of the your team member members on your website. A lot yeah. of young people, and uh, and I know there's a lot of leaders, especially some older leaders, just saying, "Hey, how do we lead this next generation? How do we create cultures and workplaces where they actually want to work?" What have you learned about leading the next generation? I, I mean, I know you're a young leader yourself. What do leaders need to know about that? 
Mm. I think young, younger folks, and we are, we are maturing our team. So uh, <laughs> we're trying to do that. And we're bringing on, you know, more senior folks for sure. It's funny yeah. every year our our probably uh, median age increases, but, but, but yeah, I think there is an advantage. There's advantages and disadvantages to it's big disadvantages um, to starting something when you're 25. Right. And me and my two, two other co-founders were 25. And we we made something that we wanted, right? And it's hard to beat that as an origin, you know, yeah. uh, place. If you're if you're asking about how do you build something for a millennial, what did you want? What was the thinking that went into that? Man, we just we wanted something that was uh, challenging, that was going to be using technology that was going to be very forward thinking, that wasn't going to be stuck in traditional ways, that didn't have an older, you know, more traditional board. We wanted a brand that would be exciting and cool. It would inspire people. We wanted great design. Yeah, those are some things that came that came to mind. And when I looked around, I just didn't see that that many places. From mm. from my personal opinion, it's not to say that it was right or wrong. It was just my personal opinion. And so, I think what if my advice to some folks listening, I would I would really try to find you know some extraordinary young leaders and elevate their position at the organization and give them a lot of power and autonomy and pay them really well and like really encourage them to go out and attract and and you know try to the best of their ability uh, retain great talent if you're not in the kind of millennial world or you know now the gen z is coming and you know we're trying trying to figure out how do we recruit a lot of those great folks right out of college um where they could be going and working at snapchat or in crypto or all these other places that are very interesting and appealing how do, how do we create a place that is attractive and appealing for them and and so yeah i guess my my uh to round it out i would say if you want to create a more attractive work environment for high potential uh, millennials that are hungry and have, you know, the opportunity to work at a lot of places, you've, you've got to have some awesome uh, younger leaders on your team that they're going to be inspired by, they're going to be attracted to, and that they're going to see an opportunity to to really grow and have influence at the organization. So good. Thank you for sharing. Before we go into the lightning round, I read on your yeah. your bio, you're also a cancer survivor. I haven't heard a lot about that. Is, is that true? And then can you can you just talk to us about that journey and how that's you know shaped who you mm -hmm. are and what do you do? Yeah. So I was um I was 18 when I got diagnosed with a, a really rare form of cancer, mm -hmm. completely out of nowhere. Uh, was my senior year in high school, I was wanted to go play college basketball and um it just happened out of nowhere. And so it was a pretty serious uh, tumor. I had about uh, a third of a chance that I wasn't going to make it. And uh, it turned out I was okay. I was fine. Um, had like a nearly, nearly perfect surgeries. And yeah, God, uh, God just really, I got lucky and, and blessed me. Yeah. I think what it did was the main thing it taught me was that you're just as much as we want to be in control we're not in control. Mm. And whether that's a disease hitting or, you know, even worse, you know, somebody 
you know, that is here today and is gone the next week. Like we're not God and we're not in control. We never think it can happen to us until it happens, you know? And, and so I think I just, that was a learning for me that there are going to be things that happen that I wasn't planning on that I don't like, but I can't control that. You know, obviously I can set up healthy systems and habits in my life that are trying to put me in the, in the best position to be healthy, to live a longer, healthy life that's honoring God. Um, but you know, who knows? I mean, there's, yeah. you never know what can happen. And so I think it's what I learned is just a cliche kind of quote, but like, you know, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And I, and I really do believe that. And I think that, you know, we're in charge of our attitudes and uh, we can actually, there's not many things we can control, obviously in life. I think what we can control is our attitudes and we can control our effort. And so that just taught me, I am in charge of, of my attitude. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. I want to dive yeah. into the lightning round, just a bunch of fun questions. I always ask leaders sure. on, on the podcast with the time we have left. And the yeah. first one is, what is the best advice you've ever received and who gave it to you? I would say probably in the beginning of my entrepreneurial career, there was someone that told me, you're going to have a choice to do the easy thing or the hard thing. And the more you can choose to do the hard thing, the more basically the, the more return you're going to get out of things. And I think as I've gotten a little older now, I realized like, yeah, you don't, every single choice that you make in life, you don't want to choose the hardest thing, but just from a philosophically, like if I wake up in the morning and I say, I want to run five days a week and it's like, it'd be so much easier just to, just to stay in bed. <laughs> well, then you ask the question, like what's easier, what's harder. And if you can continue to choose the harder thing, that's obviously how you're getting growth. Um, now, of course, you can go overboard with that. And I've had my own journey of, of going a little overboard with that. But that was something that I think really helped shape me from like 24 to where I'm at now, age 32. If you could put a quote on a billboard for everyone to read, what would it say? Dream big, aim high. Best purchase you've made in the last year for $100 or less? Gosh, everything I like is a little more than a hundred. Um, like, yeah, <laughs> my AirPods, my 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 little watch, it's like two hundred. AirPods uh, are the number one answer. Everyone, everyone always goes over. It's funny. Yeah, I'd say like just as far as value wise, it's they're they're pretty hard to beat. So I'll go yeah. with that. I agree with you. Top three books that have impacted your life: Extreme Ownership by a uh, former Navy SEAL kind of leadership guy, Jocko which is incredible. The Return of the Prodigal Son is probably the, the book that's had the biggest spiritual impact hmm. on my life. And then it's more of a story um, and it's manifested in a book, but it really has shaped a lot of my life. And that's uh, Thirst by, by Scott Harrison. Scott's story and what they've done had a significant impact on me um, as inspiration. And I just think it's an incredible, inspiring story. Biggest leadership pet peeve. People saying they're going to do something and they don't do it. <laughs> Greatest leadership challenge right now. Trying to be maniacally focused when there are seemingly very exciting, interesting things that <laughs> you know you should be saying no to like nine out of 10 times. And I think the challenge is you want to be maniacally focused. You know, we're, we're trying to be as focused as we could ever be. And 
you don't want to shut out absolutely everything. And so it's the the judgment of if you're going to try something that's a little off course, you better have a lot of conviction on that thing. And that's hard. You know, there's not the perfect answer to that. It's more of a gut. It's more of a judgment thing. Yeah. So that would, that would probably be the, the current challenge. Yeah. You get to spend time with a lot of great leaders. It sounds like you've been doing learning lunches or learning times with leaders for a long time. Do you have a, a go-to question that you always ask no matter what leader you're meeting with? Hmm. Yeah. It'll depend on what I'm you know, kind of most focused on for, for my role. So if it's in like right now, I'm thinking a lot about recruiting. So uh, if I, if that's like, what's kind of at the top of my priority list for a season, then I would go pretty deep into asking them questions about how they recruited some of their best people, uh, stories and, and try to learn from those stories. I'm just curious, what's something that you've done that you think everyone else should do? Maybe something you've crossed off your bucket list, et cetera. Oh gosh. Before even starting new story, um, I tried to do some public speaking and I started just speaking to very small youth groups. Um, I think it was like 20 people. And, uh, I think that that's, that's something that really helps people because at the time I didn't know I was going to start new story. I didn't know that I would eventually be doing, you know, a lot of speaking and, but that fear, which I was very fearful and I was not confident and it was so bad. If you watch like probably the first like 20, 20 attempts, um, but just whatever that is, whether it's speaking or something else that you're, you're pretty fearful of, but you could, you could start, man, this is, this is not uh, an exciting bucket list answer, but like, if you could just start by saying, what's a very low risk thing of like talking to a youth group, right. As an example, or like what's some, whatever that thing is, like, what could you do that the, the stakes are pretty low, but it's giving you a chance to go out and learn a skill that you think will be valuable for, for you personally or professionally, and then just doing it. You know, I, the, the first thing that actually came to mind when you said the billboard question, which I couldn't say, cause it's, it's Nike slogan, but it's just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, gosh, I think people are just spend. and this is just not me. I think it's a gift. Like, I'm much more simple-minded, you know, I think yeah. some folks just spend so long researching and this and that, and, and like, just like, just do it. Come on. You know, if I would have waited around and did all this research of where's the perfect strategy for a new housing organization and how does that fit into the whole ecosystem? Like, I don't know, you know, I, it was just I was like, let's just try to do like 10 houses to start, you know, and like, let's just do it this way. And is it going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Are we going to make mistakes? Absolutely. But like, just do it, just get started. And I don't think enough people do that. All right. How can people connect with you and everything you're doing? Whether they want to work for you, it looks like you're hiring. So you're always looking great talent. If anyone's listening to this and people want to donate and vote a house, how can they find you? I'm personally recruiting for a CFO. So that's a a shameless plug. Um, If anybody wants to come in as a entrepreneurial finance and operations leader. Uh, we got a really exciting gig there. Uh, but if not, I mean, our website is newstorycharity.org. Um, you can learn about everything we're doing. If you want to get involved, you know, philanthropically or, or to join our team. So, and then I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm mostly active on Twitter and my handle is just my name. It's at Brett Hagler. Great. Well, Brett, this was a fantastic conversation. Thanks for everything you're doing uh, in the world. It makes a huge difference. And it was an honor to get to know you a little bit better. 
Same, same, man. I appreciate it. This is fun. Thank you. Well, hey, Leader, thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Brett. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find ways to connect with him and links to everything that we discussed in the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash 296. And Leader, I really want to challenge you that if you really want to 10x your growth this upcoming year, then you need to either launch or join an L3 Leadership Mastermind Group. Mastermind Groups are simply groups of 6 to 12 leaders that meet together for at least one year in order to help each other grow, achieve their goals, and to do life together. If you're interested in learning more about Mastermind Groups, go to l3leadership.org forward slash masterminds. And as always, I like to end every episode with a quote, and I'll quote John Maxwell. He said this recently. I love this. He said, here are the questions that you should ask about the people you have surrounding you. Do they believe in me? Do they have my interest at heart? Can they help me? And if they help me, will it change them? Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it inspired you. I hope it challenged you. And more than anything, I want you to know that Laura and I love you. We believe in you. Don't quit. Keep leading. Keep making a difference. The world needs your leadership. We'll talk to you next episode.